in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Art. Hey, Bunk Funkers. Welcome to another episode of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Five. Four, three, two, one, liftoff. We have liftoff. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast has launched. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, it's headed right back down for the oh. earth. Oh, the thrusters oh, no, it's were doing, not calibrated. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. <laughs> this podcast is so bad. We should never have done this. <laughs> Dear God, the humanity. Oh, God. It's heading straight for the nearest Culver's. Oh, no. Oh, think of the concretes and Butterburgers. There's curds everywhere. Uh. (laughs) Oh, God. Perfectly seasoned and beer-battered fresh fish, cod, fillets, all strewn all over the place. Crinkle-cut fries. Oh, the humanity. They're eating them all. Oh, God. <laughs> all the cheesy. All They're the making things of themselves. <laughs> all the fried cheese turds. All the fried cheese turds they can eat. <laughs> cheese turds. <laughs> Those sick <laughs> bastards. They're God. Andy. Yeah. Why are we why 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 are we talking about rocket ships? <laughs> Uh, Art, it's got a little something to do with the podcast today, actually. Oh, the um, podcast. This one that we're doing currently. You see, uh, this week's topic is uh, a topic about outer space. Oh, uh, one which for the is science lovers. Essentially, um, the space outside of Earth. Little David Childress uh, showing up on the pod. <laughs> Uh, thank you, David. Specifically, Art, we're discussing the Lucifer Project. Uh, a very now, cool name for a topic. V- yeah, absolutely. Very cool name. Uh, I think that most projects should get cooler names like this, um, to be honest. Um, but not to not to not to spoil, this is the this is basically the story about a NASA plot to Blow up planets in our solar system and create <laughs> new stars. 
Now, uh, if that doesn't get your friggin' rockets burning <laughs> with rocket fuel, bunk funkers, I'm sorry, there's no hope because nothing else will. Did you just hear what we said? NASA's yeah. planning to blow up planets in the solar system. That's the topic. If that's the, if that doesn't have you wet with pre-rocket fuel, then there's not much we can do for you. <laughs> well, you can get into your little rocket, your own personal little rocket, and you can blast off to all that to the topic when it starts all the research because look in the show notes, okay? Houston has has accurately Houston, laid out for you. <laughs> Houston, we have a solution. <laughs> Houston, we have a timestamp. Uh, there will be a timestamp in the show notes, in the description, whatever it's called. Look for it. That's when the research starts. Because first, Andy and I, we got some intro business to take care of. All right? Now, this first order of business, it concerns the titular Mr. Bunker. He is like the... Uh, he is like the hot towelette you receive before engorging on the whole enchilada of the topic, but um, the towel isn't hot, nor is it um, comfy and exfoliating. Does that make sense? You ever get a hot towel before a meal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, before <laughs> before you said hot towelette and all you said was hot towel. I thought you were going to say hot topic. Oh. Uh, I thought you were going to make a hot topic analogy to Mr. Bunker, which was fun. Um, but yeah, I need a hot towel before and after meals. Uh, before, uh, mostly just to prepare my, I wrap it around my throat uh, to loosen the throat <laughs> muscles so that I can swallow more and chew less. Uh, and then obviously after the meal, I need it just for general sanitation because uh, yeah. my skin and the folds are completely caked in saliva and uh, partially chewed food. In more ways than one, you're like a large boa constrictor, Andy. <laughs> yeah. With your scaly, rough skin and your ability to open your throat and jaw uh, larger than uh, you is uh, normally possible. Are you able to unhinge both both pieces and um, mm-hmm. swallow food, food whole? That's correct. But, um, we're concerned here with the Mr. The titular bunker because every week he travels. He's been traveling all over the globe and all over the uh, around. He went to the he went to the ISS space station, the International yeah. Space Station. He's been over and around the globe. Yeah. And uh, he's been sending us postcards while Andy and I are on quarantine as we have been for the past, I don't know, four or five months now. <laughs> Seems like an eternity. Um, and he sends us postcards every week, and this week is no different, Andy. Yeah, yeah this week is no different, and uh, I mean, a little Mr. B hit the uh, nail right on the head with his postcard this week. I mean, every week it's a postcard of him, it's a photo of him, uh, wherever he is in the world, and then on the back he's got a little note scribbled uh, to us about what to research and what he's been up to. Uh, so this week, I mean, like I said, very on the nose. Uh, he's He's riding atop a space shuttle, like, uh, like, uh, like, like, uh, like, uh, like he's riding a nuclear bomb. Mm. Um, mm. 
Yeah, like, you know what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, like from uh, from how from I learned movie. to stop worrying, stop worrying and, and, and and embrace the nuclear bombs, or that that old jib jab cartoon about George Bush. You remember that one? Jib jab, jib jab. I remember jib jab. Uh, I I had my face plastered on many a uh, cardboard dancing character. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you, you'll get what I'm saying. He's like, he's got a cowboy hat and he's right. got it up over his head. He's clearly saying, yeah! Iconic, iconic image. Iconic. And he's riding atop a space shuttle. Uh, well, it turns out where he is, is he was in Huntsville, Alabama. Ooh. Uh, at, the, at, the Na- at the NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. Um, and obviously he's there because... Uh, at the at the Marshall Space Flight Center, this is where they do space camp, and he's there uh, apparently to look. This is going to sound weird, um, but he's there to divert children from the camp uh, and convince them to go to his own camp, uh, <laughs> which is Space Conspiracy Camp. So apparently, he shows up, uh, and they've all. Like the parents have paid for these kids to go to camp, they've signed all the paperwork, and he just diverts them from the camp to his own camp. He's got he's got a he's got like an abandoned cabin uh, out in the woods, and he just gets a group of kids out there, and uh, he 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 tries to indoctrinate them into the uh, the world of of space conspiracies, much like what we're discussing today. Yeah, and these poor kids, man, this camp, it is not up to code. I mean, when you think of going to, like, camp as a kid, you know, yeah, maybe you have hot dogs one night. (laughs) But at at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Camp for Kids, you're having hot dogs for three meals out of the day, seven days a week. And these are canned hot dogs. These are not these are not like your routine supermarket hot dogs either. I mean, these are made from game meat. Like this is squirrel and gopher. Yeah. Other varmints and vermin yeah, that you ro- can find. Rodentia basically is the only meat in these hot dogs. Yeah, try the opossum. It's uh it's it's you know, it'll knock you dead for sure. It's um, basically a combination of rodentia and sawdust. <laughs> The cabin and sawdust. The new the fragrance cabin. by Andy. <laughs> the cabin not very big. Uh, lots of bunk no, no, beds. No. Uh, but there's not that much space for the bunk beds, so the space in between is pretty small. So it's kind of like climbing into a like a coffin uh, when you sleep at night in, in at the camp. And calling it a camp is pretty generous. There's no right. There's no lake. Yeah. There's no there's activities. No, there's no like at a normal camp. You might go canoeing at Mister Bunker's. A conspiracy camp for kids. You might discuss how the CIA infiltrated Jonestown <laughs> instead of canoeing, and he might do that. You know, he might do that in the bathtub. You, yeah, while he's in the tub, very LBJ. <laughs> um, you know, at a regular camp, you might have an afternoon snack. That's right. At Mister Bunker's conspiracy camp for kids, you get you get a can of soda laced with LSD just to see what. <laughs> <laughs> to prove to you the dangers of MK Ultra. Well, what are the best things about camp 
everybody, you know, this is fun for a lot of kids is arts and crafts. You always come home with some new creation mm-hmm. for oh, mom yeah. and dad. But at sure. Mr. Booker's conspiracy camp for kids, you're not really doing arts and crafts. He's he's making the children meticulously document and blueprint categorize alien spacecrafts. It's 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 really more the art of crafts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has these kids over the drawing board, you know, they're having them draw meticulous blueprints. Yeah, we're not we're not talking like draw what you think the craft looks like. These are like meticulous, detailed uh, schematic drawings. Yeah. Another fun thing you might do at camp. You know, I don't know if you did this at at any camps that you went to, Andy, but I did at some of the sleepover camps that I went to when I was a child. Is he do archery? Everybody loves the archery. That is so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not as fun at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Camp for Kids because uh, the archery portion is actually a blood sport. He uh, forces the children to hunt each other out in the wilderness to determine <laughs> who is the most fit for survival. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty pretty dire. You yeah. know, at a, at a regular summer camp, you might you might have some fun in the water. With the blob, you know, the blob, that great big, like, just cylinder full of air that you, like, jump off onto. Yeah. And it popcorns people into the water. Sure. Well, at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Camp for Kids, uh, you try to create the monster, the blob, out in the woods <laughs> and then give it sentience and have it try to uh, infiltrate and attack the nearby Air Force Base. <laughs> yeah and and who doesn't love you know at camp when you would roast marshmallows and make s'mores over to campfire but uh unfortunately at mr bunker's conspiracy camp for kids the only thing you get to do at night is you don't get to sleep he makes them go out into the forest and dig for jimmy hoffa's body <laughs> repeatedly you know really the only similarity between any other summer camp and Mr. Bunker's conspiracy time camp for kids is no indoor plumbing. <laughs> yes. That is the only, only similarity similarity. You are shitting in an outhouse or out in the woods. So or just outdoors, <laughs> but um, Hey, sign, sign yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, enrollment is still open. He's still trying to <laughs> never close kids it. thought they were going to space camp and they, yeah, uh, yeah, Oh boy. Poor kids. Well, they learned a valuable well, lesson. Well, anyway. Yeah, they learned a valuable lesson. Never follow a strange man into the forest. <laughs> Took me. Who says, hey, hey, kids, you want to learn about the real space camp? <laughs> There's you want to learn about the many... shit they're not teaching you inside of space camp? Oh, too many times. I wish I would have learned that lesson earlier in life. Yep. Which is, you know, it's it's always too good to be true, Andy. Whenever they think, you know, you know, you're gonna get some astronaut ice cream or some tang, <laughs> you're never gonna get it. You're That's only right. gonna get that stuff at space camp. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can get that ice cream other places. It's not the same. Mm, it, it doesn't is the have same. the same. Fl- Andy, there's an emotional component to food. Okay. <laughs> You know, whenever I, know. I think of space ice cream, I think of the Neil Armstrong Museum. 
Have you been there? I've been there. That's where I first had it. Oh, I've never had astronaut ice cream, so I don't even know what the Neil Armstrong famously from Ohio. Oh, Wapakoneta, Ohio. Shits. <laughs> um, what did you think of astronaut ice cream? Did you think it was good? Um, no, I don't think any. Oh, okay. I mean, it's an. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a novelty, right? Like it's just like yeah, it's, it's a chalky, yeah. artificially flavored thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're in space, you're probably like, well, I get it. It's so cold outside. Why can't I just have ice cream? <laughs> uh, but you get it. I mean, you understand. I mean, on Earth, it's like there's no reason to eat it. Right. Well, I but it does have it, that weird quality where it like dissolves in your mouth, but is also powdery. Right. Right. Yeah, it's pretty fucking gross. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Dehydrated. <laughs> Dehydrated it. Just why dehydrate it? Just give me some goddamn ice cream, NASA. Just give me some fucking ice cream, NASA. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'll fund your fucking rocket missions to the moon when you start making ice cream like you were designed to. <laughs> that was your original purpose, NASA. The National Association of NAS Cream. Sweet. Yeah, NAS Cream. National X Cream. Fucking- <laughs> NASCAR and NAS Cream, baby. <laughs> NAS Cream, woo! <laughs> NAS Cream, woo! Shake and bake. Um, well, Andy, speaking of uh, NAS Cream, we've got uh, another segment, the Bunker Alarm, coming up. I got a dick trickle. I need just- some NAS Cream. <laughs> Sorry, just as sweet. Just thought of it. It's all right, Andy. You you're allowed to interject with those things anytime. You all want. right, thank you. Uh, I think you were going to get to the bunker alarm, right? Right. That's what I. Well, it's it's, that's a, it's a segment. It's a segment that's just as sweet as NAS scream. It's the bunker alarm, <laughs> yeah. where we give a shout out to uh, we we give a shout out back to our to our supporters and right. um, people who've been listening or to our bunk funkers who've been listening a long time. To show us, you know, it's the least we could do to show appreciation for the fact that you all take time out of your day to listen to this show. You know, your time is it always amazes. You choose to waste it on us, and that is uh, incredibly (laughs) humbling for us. And, um, you know, we hope that you never wise up because we're glad that you're here. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, This week, this bunk funker has been with us has been listening for a long, long time, has suggested a um, a few different, I think one or two different topics. But regardless, it's Oriana. Um, Oriana. Yep. And uh, so we're going to, we're going to sound the bunker alarm for Oriana. <laughs> and it's going to uh, be synced up perfectly. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to hear it in uh, Oriana. This, this is for you. In three Two, one. Wait, I don't know what it is. Ding 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 ding
<laughs> that was the bunker alarm. Perfectly synced up for Oriana. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, so seamless. Oriana, oh, God. Uh, as seamless as we could do. Uh, and you deserve no less. Thank you so much for um, being a loyal bunk bunker all these these decades, all these years, <laughs> these millennias. Yeah. I don't Oriana's know what to been say with because us. it's like months. <laughs> Oriana has been with us since the beginning of time. Yep. <laughs> um, that was the bunker alarm. If you would love to receive a bunker alarm, and why wouldn't you? Um, you know, write us right into us, Mr. Bunkerpod at gmail.com. That's our email. Um, find us on Twitter at Mr. Bunkerpod or Instagram at Mr. Yeah. Bunkerpod. Send us a message. Send us something in. Hey, you might find yourself getting a bunker along. Hey, you don't even have to be smooth. You don't even have to try to pretend like you want to talk to us. No. You could just be like, I want to be recognized in the bunker alarm and then end your email. <laughs> yeah. And that would be fine. Honestly, we'll do it. <laughs> this is a low, It's a low threshold on this. So, I mean, just get after us. Yeah. Um. Speaking of getting after it, Andy, uh, we gotta, NASA is getting oh, after the planet NASA. Jupiter. Yeah, or and or Saturn. And or Saturn. And they just, oh, they want to bust a plutonium nut inside that gassy planet. Inside <laughs> that gassy planet's dark little hole. <laughs> yeah. They want to set it, they want to, like, get it hot. With, yeah, with their Hess nasty, for the, Hess, nasty Hess little plutonium to a load. New star. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 The formation of stars is a very horny process. That's the universe having sex with itself. True. True that. Um. That's that's today's topic here, uh, bunk funkers. It is uh, a plot by NASA to blow up a planet in our solar system and create a new star. Yeah. Find out all about it. Uh, you're going to find some science. You're going to find some sci-fi. You're going to find some smooth transitions, I'm sure. <laughs> Between topics. Um, That's right. Between every topic, we'll play Rob Thomas and Santana's Smooth. Yep. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Special guests today, Rob Thomas and Carlos <laughs> Rob. Santana. Rob Look and Carlos, it. welcome to the show. Uh, they'll be joining us soon right here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Fly me to the moon, let me make a brand new star, let me see what fusion's like by detonating Jupiter and Mars. Do I sound like I work for NASA, Art? No. Nothing about what you just said or, I mean, your personality in general, Andy, leads me to believe that you work for NASA in any capacity at all. <laughs> right you are, Art. I'm not even allowed within 500 feet of NASA facilities anymore after I went to space camp as a full-grown adult. They threw me out because I was too old to sleep in the dorms and too cheap to pay for a hotel, so I set up shop in the International Space Station replica. 
Apparently, it's frowned upon when you look up look up MILF porn on the ISS control panel. Well, that and I truck some chump kids playing capture the flag during Camp Challenge night. <laughs> as, as someone who's been on vacation with you before, that all sounds about right. Well, Art, unfortunately, we're not here to talk about all the places I've been banned from in the past 12 months. We're here to talk about the Lucifer Project. And no, I'm not talking about the song Lucifer by the Alan Parsons Project. No, bunk funkers. Today, we're talking about the plot hatched by NASA, a.k.a. the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, the USA's civilian space program. We're talking about NASA's plot to detonate a nuclear device hidden in the guise of a well-intentioned space probe, causing a chain reaction and turning either of the planets, Jupiter or Saturn, into a new star in our solar system. Clearly this is an explosive proposition, am I right? (laughs) Possibly the first person to ignite this hypothesis was none other than famous conspiracy theorist Milton William Cooper, a.k.a. William Cooper, a.k.a. Bill Cooper, a.k.a. Big Daddy Conspiracy. Okay. So, maybe Andy and I are the only ones who call him that last one, but hey, now you can too. Well, to be fair, Bill Cooper, Big Daddy Conspiracy, was maybe the first person to actually believe this would happen. A similar thing happened in 2010, Odyssey 2, a science fiction book by Arthur C. Clarke, which was a sequel of sorts to 2001 a space odyssey which of course was a very famous movie directed by stanley kubrick welcome back to the program stanley kubrick glad to see you're still involved in the space conspiracy game congratulations check out our fabulous episode on how he may or may not have helped fake the moon landings check it out in 2010 odyssey 2 two uh, those those extraterrestrial monoliths from 2001 are on the planet Jupiter. And then they start replicating themselves. Eventually, Jupiter becomes so dense, it turns into a star. People on Earth name it Lucifer. They do this to foster life on Jupiter's moon Europa. At the end of the book, the extraterrestrials turn Hal into a life form like Dave Bowman. And they get to hang out, play some... Groovy music. (laughs) They might have kissed. Uh, Sure, it's fine. Anyway, that's all for literary uh, context. Now, back to Big Daddy Conspiracy here. If you don't know who Bill Cooper was, he was a famous theorist who hosted a radio program called The Hour of the Time and published a book in 1991 called Behold, a Pale Horse. Uh, It also could just be called Behold a Pale Horse. (laughs) But honestly, how else do you say the title of that book? Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, continues to be a somewhat popular work. Uh, These are all, uh, there there, there are a lot of interesting things about Cooper, and maybe Mr. Bunker will have us do an episode on Cooper someday. But for now, we're focusing on Behold a Pale Horse. In the book, among many other things, Cooper writes the following passage. Quote, the spacecraft called Galileo is on its way to Jupiter, a baby star with a gaseous makeup exactly the same as our sun, with a load of 49.7 pounds of plutonium supposedly being used as batteries to power the craft. 
When its final orbit decays in December 1999, Galileo will deliver its payload into the center of Jupiter. The unbelievable pressure that will be encountered will cause a reaction exactly as occurs when an atomic bomb is exploded by an implosion detonator. The plutonium will explode in an atomic reaction, lighting the hydrogen and helium atmosphere of Jupiter and resulting in the birth of the star that has already been named Lucifer. The world will will interpret it as a sign of tremendous religious significance. It will fulfill prophecy. In reality, it is only a demonstration of the insane application of technology by the JSON Society, which may or may not even work. They have practiced overkill to ensure success. However, as the documents that I read while in Naval Intelligence stated that Project Galileo required only five pounds of plutonium to ignite Jupiter and possibly stave off the coming ice age. Global warming is a hoax. It is easier for the public to deal with and will give the ruling elite more time before panic and anarchy replace the government. End quote. All right. So there's a bit to unpack in that quote. Um, Yes, it's very similar to the plot of 2010 Odyssey 2. Nevertheless, I think it's only fair that we give a bit of context for what Cooper was saying. First of all, Cooper was talking about the space probe Galileo. Galileo was a NASA probe launched into orbit in 1989, bound for Jupiter for extensive study of the gas giant. Cooper mentioned that there was plutonium aboard Galileo, which also bears some explanation. For power, uh, Galileo, much like the famous scientist Galileo, was outfitted with two radioisotope thermoelectric generators, or RTGs. Okay, bunk funkers. This next part is for the eggheads in the group. In fact, this whole episode is so eggheady, we have to issue a warning. We're legally obligated to. The following content is marked NSFC, not safe for Chads. Chad listening discretion is advised. We're actually playing the uh, the Chad alarm right now, and if you are a Chad, you'll be able to hear it. So only <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a frequency only heard by Chads. Yeah, if you don't hear it, you're a virgin, and that's okay. <laughs> you can keep listening. Um, but Chads, uh, just be advised, most of this episode is for eggheads. You've been warned. Anyway, an RTG, uh, again, a radioisotope thermoelectric generator, is basically a power source that requires minimal human interaction to continue operating and harnesses the nuclear decay of the fuel used. In Galileo's case, that fuel was plutonium-238, a radioactive isotope of the element plutonium. According to NASA, the heat generated from the radioactive decay of the plutonium-238 is converted to electricity to power Galileo's equipment. Again, all of this is true for the scientist Galileo Galilei as well. Next, Cooper said that Galileo, the spacecraft, will crash into Jupiter, causing an atomic bomb-like blast, which then causes ignition of the gases in Jupiter's atmosphere, creating a new star called Lucifer. Now, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. A sexy little spacecraft full of nuclear junk crash and go big boom. That's easy to understand. Everyone can get Cooper that. Then meant, Cooper then mentioned the Jason Society, J-A-S-O-N. 
and that the new star is being created to stop an ice age from happening on Earth. So, a couple things here briefly. JSON is um, is a group of top like top eggheads who advise the U.S. government on science stuff. Jason has done a lot of work in the past to advocate to reverse the trend of global warming. So according to Cooper, global warming is a hoax, and the real story is that an ice age is coming. And I'm not talking like Ray Romano and <laughs> Dennis Miller, you know. Another ice and, age? And all those, oh, and, baby. And that, yeah, and that lovable little squirrel always looking for that nut. What's no, his no, name? No. Scrat. Like, yes, Scrat or Scrat, yeah. Uh, this is like the Earth is going to freeze. Oh, oh. So Jason wants to create another star to help warm the Earth. Sure. Scientists always think about nuking planets and solar systems to ignite their gases and, and get them to turn into stars to warm up the Earth. But do scientists ever think about giving the Earth a hot cup of cocoa? Huh? Or maybe maybe the Earth just needs a nice warm bowl of chicken noodle soup. Well, that's what warms me up. Heart and soul, incidentally, head to my Etsy, my artsy, to purchase a wide array of unlicensed chicken soup for the soul merchandise. Will do. So anyway, (laughs) Cooper made these claims about Galileo in 1991. At that point, Galileo hadn't even made its way to Jupiter. It wouldn't reach Jupiter until December 1995. Galileo's primary mission was a two-year study of the Jovian system, uh, which is to say Jupiter and its moons. Uh, Jupiter, by the way, has 53 named moons and 26 other moons that have yet to be officially named for a whopping total of 79 moons. Jupiter's moons are like a big birthday cake for me. One moon for every year. (laughs) I turn 80 next year. Anyway, as it turned out, hey, you look you look great for eighty. Bad yeah. for everything else, but I look terrible. I look terrible for my real age, but I look great for eighty. Uh, <laughs> so, as it turned out, Galileo's mission was extended multiple times, and the mission wasn't finally ended until September twenty first, two thousand three. In early September of two thousand three, Jocko Vanderwarp, a Dutch physicist and co founder of yowusa.com that's your own world united states of america dot com published a piece on yow usa called quote could nasa use galileo to create a jovian nagasaki end quote in this piece vanderwarp cited a report by jc goliathan an independent researcher in this july 2003 report goliathan put forth that plutonium 238 according to a U.S. Department of Energy study, could be used to make nuclear weapons instead of the more common nuke material, plutonium-239. Further, Goliathan cited a statement from the Nuclear Control Institute that if you leave plutonium-238 in a nuclear reactor long enough, it takes on an extra neutron and becomes plutonium-239. According to Goliathan, the long trip in the RTGs will give a lovable old plutonium-238 an opportunity to hook up with a frickin' badass neutron and turn into plutonium-239, the nuker of planets. Goliathan also brought up the Jason group, uh, that the Jason group was rumored to want to turn Jupiter into a star to possibly help make Jupiter's moons more habitable 
even pointing out that Jason is basically J son, the letter J a dash S U N or Jupiter son. Think about it. You thinking about it? Okay. Give it some thought. So where Goliathan was going with this. And I mean, come on, you know, you know, at this point crashing Galileo into Jupiter could possibly cause a fission explosion of the plutonium aboard the craft, igniting the atmosphere of Jupiter, which would heat the planet up to a level high enough to sustain nuclear fusion, making Jupiter a star baby. Now, to be fair, Goliathan wasn't saying this definitely will happen, only that there's a possibility. You can tell, though, Goliathan was suspicious. Now, getting back to Vanderwarp's piece here, Vanderwarp shared Goliathan's concerns, echoing the sentiment that not enough is known about Jupiter's chemical makeup to safely crash Galileo into the planet, while also saying that the chance of this scenario playing out is minute, quote-unquote. Vanderwarp goes on to completely shit on plutonium-238, calling it, uh, quote, a rogue isotope and, quote, the least wanted, end quote, member of the plutonium family. Damn, Jocko! That's harsh! <laughs> Damn! Damn! Jocko! <laughs> According to Vanderwerp, the critical mass, that is, the amount of material needed to sustain a nuclear chain reaction, is 200 grams for plutonium-238. Galileo was carrying over 15,000 grams of plutonium. We should mention at this point how the plutonium gets stored in those RTGs, right? So, um, they use these, like, little marshmallow-shaped pellets of the stuff, and each pellet then goes into its own little shielded con- uh, conchamber, conchamber, conchamber. Con-chamber. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jocko's fear was that when Galileo crashed into the Jovian atmosphere, the pressure would crush the containers, and the pellets would all combine together. Their powers as one, the pellets would implode, setting off a huge chain reaction explosion making Jupiter the biggest firework in the night sky. <clears throat> Jupiter, you're a firework. Come on, show them what you're worth. NASA's gonna make you blow up, up, up as they turn into a sun, sun, sun. Beautiful. <clears throat> Anywho. <laughs> Jocko estimated that Galileo could have produced an explosion of 400 kilotons. 400. Which just means the explosion would have been like blowing up 400,000 tons of TNT dynamite. From Bon Scott back to Vanderwarp. <laughs> from from Bon from Bon Scott back to Vanderwarp. Well, that sounded better in my head. I thought there'd be more of a rhyme action. Oh, well. Uh, Jocko said that the intense pressure in Jupiter's atmosphere could help sustain the chain reaction explosion, increasing the fission, or atom splitting, and causing the temperature of the reaction to possibly reach 100 million degrees Kelvin. Why is that number significant? Why, that's the number, that's the temperature where sustained nuclear fusion or atom combining is possible. 
Fusion is what happens in stars like our sun. It's how they make heat and energy. To be fair, though, you don't always need the temperature to be 100 million degrees Kelvin for fusion. Intense pressure can help, too, like when you make these little plutonium atoms take their SATs. Their futures are riding on that test. They're sweating bullets. Jocko concluded by declaring NASA irresponsible and not aware enough of the risks of crashing Galileo into Jupiter. Vanderwerp had this to say about NASA, quote, There is only one bullet in the pistol cylinder, but if you pull the trigger often enough, you'll die for sure. NASA has pulled the trigger a few times already. So far, nothing happened. The plutonium bullet, however, may now be up in the chamber. If this goes wrong, even though the chance of it is remote at best, it will affect all of us, not just NASA. End quote. Jocko also issued a dire warning that if Jupiter ignited, it would throw out a wave of atmospheric gases, not unlike me after eating my favorite spicy garlic and bean dip. And again, much like me, this wave of gas would bombard the Earth, causing massive amounts of destruction, radiation poisoning deaths, and even sterility. You know, I guess if this happened, I'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, really... This is just like a normal day for you. I don't think you'd notice any difference except for the, you know, extra sun shining in the sky. Yeah, I could get used to that, though. So, look, for all the alarm that was raised, NASA went ahead with its plans anyway. And on September 21st, 2003, Galileo crashed into Jupiter's atmosphere. And uh, ultimately, if I have my history correct, Galileo exploded and Jupiter became the universe's largest nuclear bomb and destroyed the entire Earth. Oh, wait a minute. No, uh, that's not what happened. That happened in a game I was playing. My modded copy of 1994's Microsoft Space Simulator. <laughs> Your modded copy? Oh, I love the mod copies of games that I was only two years old when they came out. DOS, DOS games? Yeah, yeah, it's real hard. I have to dust off my old fucking gateway PC. <laughs> that Those CRTs, man, they, you know. Anyway. If Jupiter's atmosphere had ignited and formed a new star, uh, you know, chances are we'd know about it by now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Really, what happened is uh, Galileo entered Jupiter's atmosphere, ending its mission. That sexy little probe gave its life to further our understanding of the cosmos. And when it crashed, uh, pretty much nothing happened. At least nothing observable. But then, on October 19th, 2003, a black spot appeared on Jupiter. A black spot that was the size of Earth, even. Allegedly, the same spot where Galileo entered the atmosphere, no less. Now, okay, just what in the countryfied fuck was going on in this spot? Well, kind of looks like the scarring in Jupiter's clouds from an impact. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. An impact? Right where Galileo crashed? Dear God, you maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! Damn you all to hell! (laughs) Um, Cheer up, I guess. Um, Art, if, if you'll remember, Jupiter did not explode and kill us all. We're still alive. So, it it gets better? 
Um, and much like us, this dark spot on Jupiter kept the Lucifer project alive. After the dark spot was discovered, Richard C. Hoagland, an author and prominent NASA theorist, claimed the spot was caused by the plutonium pellets aboard Galileo finally imploding. The dark spot was the remnants of the explosion, which wasn't powerful enough to fully ignite Jupiter. According to Hoagland, the pellets took a month to fall to a depth where Jupiter's pressure was sufficient to crush them. Despite crashing Galileo and getting an explosion to happen, NASA failed in its ultimate mission to create a new star. But hope springs eternal. Even as Galileo was crashing into Jupiter, NASA already had its backup plan in the works. On October 15, 1997, so a few years before Galileo crashed, NASA launched Cassini orbiter into space. And guess where Cassini was headed? That's right, bunkfunkers, Jupiter. Only Jupiter wasn't its final destination. Ultimately, Cassini was headed to Saturn. But on its way to Saturn, Cassini flew by Jupiter in the late uh, 2000, early 2001s. And Cassini and Galileo Eiffel Towered Jupiter. And they, uh, it was hot. <laughs> Real hot. <laughs> Beautiful. Cassini finally inserted itself into orbit around Saturn in mid-2004. Now, Cassini, much like Galileo, did a bunch of, uh, you know, egghead probe shit when it arrived at Saturn. It furthered science, blah, 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 blah. Cassini's original mission was four years, at which point it was scheduled to be crashed into Saturn. This time, theorists were ready. Even before 2008, the alarms were raised about the horrible things NASA had planned. NASA learned from the failure with Galileo and would crash Cassini into the polar regions of Saturn to maximize how deep its little pellets could get up inside Saturn. Like Jupiter should have, Saturn would ignite upon crushing Cassini's load. The new star would, of course, be named Lucifer. The new star would be used to either, you know, bring a global leader to power or to help solidify the rule of a recently installed global leader. The fallout from Saturn's explosion would be similar to Jupiter's, though less bad for the Earth owing to uh, Saturn's greater distance away. After many people have died while the global elites are holed up in their bunkers, the, um, the entire Earth is thrown into chaos. Ultimately, the strongest remaining military takes control of the whole Earth. By 2010, all global resources are being allocated to exploring the newly created star and its incredibly desirable moon, Titan. Terraforming plans go into overdrive, and by 2033, human colonists arrive on Titan. These people at NASA are some sick puppies. Can you imagine the audacity of creating a plan to have humanity band together to create another home in our solar system? Truly fucking disgusting. Just thinking about it is going to make me bore for God. Oh, God. Oh. Um, okay, sorry about that, bunk bunkers. I just get so disgusted at these NASA plans. Oh, no. Uh, all right, all right, let's, let's just move on. Again, similar to Galileo. Cassini's mission did not end in 2008. Instead, it was extended twice and didn't end officially until 2018. But the Cassini craft itself was finished in 2017. 
specifically September 15th, 2017, when it crashed into Saturn's atmosphere and was destroyed. Yet again, much like Galileo, Cassini failed to turn Saturn into a new star. Much like me, NASA can't stop fucking up. Unlike me, though, NASA keeps trying to make things right. On August 5th, 2011, NASA thrusted another probe into the gaping hole of space. The craft, Juno, was bound not for Uranus or my anus, but you guessed it, Jupiter. As of this recording, Juno is expected to terminate operations in July of 2021 by, that's right, crashing into Jupiter. Art! Battle stations! Sound the Lucifer alarm! Wait, the alarm that warns that your ex-wife is nearby? No, Art, the other Lucifer alarm! The one that warns of an impending space probe crash into a gas giant in our solar system. Oh, <laughs> no need to, Andy. Juno is a solar-powered craft. There's no plutonium on board that baby. Unless it stores up enough sunlight to turn the sun's rays into some sort of weapon. There's nothing to worry about. But NASA wouldn't program it to do that. Right? Right? All right, bugfuckers. So we've told you about the theorist's take on the topic. What do the skeptics say? As you can probably imagine, skeptics are quick to point out that if NASA was serious about this plot, they completely fucked up uh, on two separate times. And now they have a probe out there that isn't even plutonium powered? I mean, come on. The lack of success and lack of a third attempt indicates to skeptics that, uh, well, maybe there's actually not a conspiracy here. But let's ask some important questions. Galileo and Cassini did not turn Jupiter and Saturn into stars, but they definitely were carrying radioactive material. They definitely did crash into each of those planets. Is it possible for spacecraft like Galileo and Cassini to be turned into nuclear weapons? If so, is it possible that their detonation in the atmosphere of a gas giant planet could turn the planet into a star? I guess it's possible for spacecraft like Galileo and Cassini to be turned into nuclear weapons of some sort. But it's really hard to know for sure how effective they'd be. Uh, that's due to the construction of the RTGs. Now, as we mentioned, RTGs carry little plutonium pellets for energy generation since uh, solar power was not available for some of these older crafts. As we see with Juno, solar technology has advanced to make it a more viable solution today for these types of space missions. Uh, again, as we mentioned, RTGs carry plutonium-238, which is reactor-grade plutonium, different than weapons-grade plutonium-239. Now, I'm no egghead, but the difference between the two is in the chemical composition. It's more difficult to sustain a chain reaction uh, with reactor-grade plutonium, hence the relatively low output cited by the U.S. Department of Energy in its tests which demonstrated plutonium-238 could be used as a weapon. It's just not as efficient as 239. If you recall, though, Goliathan point uh, suggested that plutonium 238 could sit in a reactor for a while, take on an extra neutron, and become 239. While the long space journey might give time for that to happen, RTGs are not reactors, so it's unlikely that this would happen. Despite that, it's still reasonable to say that the nuclear material aboard Galileo and Cassini could be weaponized. And if you're anything like me and Art and Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer McGillicuddy Corbell, your curiosity has been weaponized, and you're going to use it to violently learn more about this topic. Plutonium-238 is, is possible bomb fuel. 
But as skeptics point out, the RTGs are designed specifically to limit the ability of a disaster caused by the fissile material aboard. Each plutonium pellet is in its own shielded little shockproof container in the RTG. Naturally, NASA designs the RTGs this way to solve for the possibility of something bad happening at the launch. They don't want this nuclear stuff getting loose on the Earth. Another important factor in this discussion is the critical mass of plutonium-238. As we mentioned, Jaco Vanderwerp says that plutonium-238 has a critical mass of 200 grams. The U.S. Department of Energy, though, says the critical mass of plutonium-238 is more like 10 kilograms. This is kind of a moot point in a way because both crafts had over 10 kilograms of plutonium aboard, but it kind of affects the mechanics. The real big argument here is that you need a solid mass of fissile material to create and sustain a nuclear explosion. Typical nuclear bombs do this by taking less than critical amounts of fissile material, then using traditional explosives to combine them all at the same time, thereby allowing for the chain reaction. Skeptics say that with the plutonium in individually shielded chambers, there's not an opportunity for enough to come together in a solid 10 kilogram mass at the exact same time. Since Jocko is arguing that critical mass is only 200 grams, the theorist argument seems to be that each pellet could go critical on its own, despite the fact that each pellet only weighs 150 grams. Most skeptics will say that rather than being crushed into a ball, spacecraft like Galileo and Cassini are more likely to break apart in a bunch of different directions, just like something breaking apart on re-entry here on Earth. But let's assume that doesn't happen. Let's assume that the intense pressure on Jupiter or Saturn, and it's intense, so intense in fact that the hydrogen in the atmosphere gets pressurized into a liquid further down, per closer to the planet's center. So let's assume that this pressure smashes the spacecraft together and smooshes all the pellets of plutonium together at the exact same time, and it results in a nuclear explosion. How big would it be? Well, nobody really knows. Jocko estimated 400 kilotons. Other theorists have estimated 600 kilotons. Again, a kiloton is a blast like a thousand tons of dynamite on their own. Those are big explosions, but they're nothing compared to the biggest nuclear explosion ever on Earth, the Soviet Union's Tsar Bomba. Now, it was blown up in 1961 with a 50 megaton blast. That's an explosion equal to 50 million tons of dynamite. The resulting shockwave traveled around the Earth three times. But despite all that, the Earth wasn't destroyed. So what gives? On Earth, nuclear explosions fizzle out pretty quickly. You know, they make a big boom, but it ends fast. There's not enough pressure or heat on Earth to sustain the reactions. So obviously, the atmospheric conditions on Jupiter or Saturn might be more favorable to sustaining a nuclear explosion. On Earth, we use nuclear fission to lead to fusion in weapons like hydrogen bombs, which is what Sarbamba was. It's a, it's a regular fission reaction, but you, um, you use some other materials, you know, uh, deuterium and or tri tritium uh, or, yeah, tritium uh, to turn the fission into fusion. So if there were sufficient amounts of deuterium or tritium in the atmospheres of Jupiter or Saturn, the simple fission weapons we send in the atmosphere could quickly turn into extremely powerful, powerful Fusion weapons. So, 
Would it be enough to make a star? Skeptics say no. According to skeptics, even if these crafts got turned into big old fusion weapons, Jupiter and Saturn are too small to become stars. An important part of how stars work and sustain nuclear fusion is gravitational confinement. Stars have so much gravity, heat, and pressure, they can keep sustaining fusion reactions. Otherwise, it's really not much different than Earth. There's a big blast, but it won't last. Jupiter and Saturn are big old planets with lots of gravity. Jupiter, in fact, has twice the mass as every other planet in the solar system combined. Compared to our sun, though, Jupiter and Saturn are almost nothing, at least in terms of mass. The sun by itself accounts for 99.8% of the total mass in the entire solar system. Skeptics say Jupiter and Saturn are just too small to sustain fusion reactions. As Jocko Vanderwarp points out, you can maybe overcome the confinement issue if you have enough heat. But how would 100 million degrees Kelvin be sustained for long enough to create a star? There could be maybe a brief period of fusion, perhaps, assuming that temp- assuming that temperature could even be reached. But eventually all the material in the atmosphere of Jupiter or Saturn would be expended uh, to maintain that high temperature. Even in the core of our sun, the temperature only gets to about 15 million degrees Kelvin. And remember the sun has a lot more matter to work with. So I guess what we're saying is maybe the aims of the Lucifer Project are possible. Is it really so far-fetched to think that scientist groups like NASA or the environmentally conscious Jason uh, might be considering the path towards forward for um, to humanity's future? Uh, even though skeptics think the theorists are on shaky scientific ground, Nobody can completely rule out the possibility that a nuclear-powered craft could be turned into a world-destroying bomb. As humanity continues to explore the cosmos, who's to say that we won't build crafts with even more fissile material inside? Was Arthur C. Clarke's book just simply a work of fiction? Or will we someday be a part of the universe's most viral video? Two stars, one solar system. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of the Lucifer Project. Lucifer. Andy? Um, yeah, Art. What do you think about the Lucifer Project? <laughs> I think it's a great name. And you know it's what I find me. you know what I find really interesting about this one, Art? Yeah, what's that, Andy? You can't prove that it can't happen. <laughs> it's just because it failed twice doesn't mean that it can't ever you it's, know it's like yeah it be true. It didn't work. If there was a conspiracy, I'm I'm going to I'm going to be uh, you know, I'm going to be uh, a little bit uh I'm I'm going to be opaque here. Um but if there is if there's a conspiracy perpetrated by NASA, uh they failed twice. Um yeah. But it's it's entirely possible that they could do this potentially. Um yeah. you know, it's it's interesting because I guess what I expected when we started researching this was that 
I was going to find a bunch of scientific evidence that completely disproved that you could turn one of these space probes carrying these little pellets of plutonium into a nuclear weapon, but you yeah. can't. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it there's checks a, out, right? Like kind of logically. Yeah, there's a possibility. I mean, there's a possibility that we caused that giant fucking black spot on Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, uh, they really don't know completely what that spot was. Uh, there's a lot of speculation around it like that, you know, it was actually photographed in, oh, like 1998 or something. Um, but it was spotted and it kind of disappeared not long after that. So it wasn't it wasn't like visible, at least from Earth, for that long. It was like only there for a couple of months, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So that spot is kind of an interesting an interesting thing. It does look like uh, it has that. I don't think it really looks a lot like the. Um, so like in uh, when um, when Galileo was approaching Jupiter, uh, parts of the comet Shoemaker-Levy nine um, broke off and crashed into Jupiter, and they left this like scarring where it impacted Jupiter in like the the clouds the the whatever they call it the troposphere. Um, and some people think that the the black spot kind of looks like that. I don't know. For me, I don't think it kind of looks the same, personally. Mm. Um, it looks a little bit different. Uh, it also looks different than some pictures that NASA has of uh, of of uh, uh, eclipses, like shadows from Jupiter's moons. Ah, but, but that could that's another possibility for what that could be. Is that it's actually it's actually the uh, the shadow of one of Jupiter's moons. I think maybe Jupiter just needs to go on Accutane for a couple months here and <laughs> clear out some of these bad spots, and then we can, uh, you know, we um, can move along. It'll be okay. You know, NASA though, they uh, they took a picture of the of the black spot, and and this is what that they had to say: the spot may be the result of a downward spiraling wind that blows away high clouds and reveals deeper, very dark cloud layers. Oh. Ooh, so, Jupiter's got Jupiter's got a little dark side. Yeah. Teeth, huh? Uh and I read too that at the poles of of Jupiter um there's like a spot where you can you can see this sometimes too where the wind starts swirling and there's just like a hole in the cl- in the top cloud layer and underneath it's right. very dark. And so it looks like a black oh. spot. Hmm. So uh NASA also um, said that this that this feature was visible for like a year. Oh, it went away. Like they saw it a year before. Uh, when did they release this image? Oh, before they released it. Oh well, yeah. I guess gotcha. maybe this was. I guess maybe this was a later one. Mm. But. Basically, NASA is saying that it's rare that this stuff shows up. So I don't think that they really fully know exactly what it is. Fair enough. So who knows God. what that was? Although I find it, I find it odd that the pellets would have taken a month to fall in Jupiter because Galileo crashed into Jupiter going at like 
I don't know, it's like 100,000 miles an hour or something. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was going really fast. Cassini did the same thing. They did that so it would, uh, um, like, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't break away or anything, you know, that it would just like keep crashing into the planet. Um, God damn, those things are little speed demons. They're speedy. Well, they, uh, like with, uh, with both of them, they did like these like elliptical orbit things around the planet to like build up speed. You know, you like, they use the thrusters because there was a little bit of fuel left. So they send it out way far away from the planet and then it just kind of like boomerangs back to the planet. And then while it does that, it builds up a whole bunch of speed. Nice. Yeah, and then they crash them. Yeah, that's pretty fucking hella sick, dude, that NASA is just like, yeah, just fucking crash the damn thing into the planet. Rid ourselves of it. (laughs) These things cost over a billion dollars each. (laughs) They just crash. And then they just crash them. Well, here's the reason that they do it. Uh... Like Galileo's instruments were all getting decayed from Jupiter's radiation. Like all mm. this time in Jupiter's radiation belt was starting to like mess with its instruments and stuff. So there's really no way they can recover it because it's hard to get them out there anyway. Uh, like I think that both of these had to like sort of slingshot around uh, the Earth and Venus to build up like momentum to get that far out into space uh, cuz they don't Jeez. have it they don't have enough fuel on board you know they can't just like rocket fuel all the way there so they have to use like gravity to slingshot them around the solar system um but so galileo's instruments were getting all decayed and stuff and they considered just leaving it in a death orbit you know just oh my god just like dead orbiting uh jupiter but they're afraid that it would crash into one of the moons and contaminate it with earth bacteria and with the plutonium. So they made the decision to, in both cases, crash these things. Because Saturn even has more moons than Jupiter. Yeah, Saturn's got like so many fucking moons, they they don't even have names from all right. Yeah, same thing as as Jupiter. They're not all named. Uh, Saturn's got 83 and Jupiter has uh, 79. If I'm if I'm saying that right, but they're afraid that some of these some of these moons could support life, but they don't think that either Jupiter or Saturn can support any life as we know it. Uh, now, as you and I like to believe, there might be cool friggin' extraterrestrials hiding out in those clouds. Yeah, they um, might be out there fucking vacationing. It's a young family of gaseous um, infrared light uh, extraterrestrials hanging out on Europa. Having a night, it's 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 like it's like Spain for people in the UK. Like they're all at a crowded beach on Europa. Um, they're being sunburned. Um, there's a big giant thing of paella, and they're all eating it on the beach. Um, and they're just enjoying it. And all of a sudden, a fucking giant a robot crashes from the sky, burns everybody alive with plutonium. Well, see if it's on Europa. That's what they avoided. Yeah, well, it's good. They because they crashed it into the planets. Um, yeah. So God. that was <laughs> So that's that's why they made that decision. I mean, you know, Jacko Vanderwarp is basically saying that NASA was irresponsible because they didn't know what would happen, which is probably pretty fair to be honest. 
I think it's fair. That's a fair take. That's a fair criticism, I think. I mean, by the time you that You could that say was... that with a lot. I mean, you could say that with almost anything space-related. Yeah. They don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's they, like... Land, they land those guys on the fucking moon. They don't know that some... Uh, uh, the um, what if the moon suddenly like turns around and it's like a, a giant mouth and the moon's just like hey get the fuck off my ass and then just starts chomping chomping and then Neil, Neil Armstrong, Armstrong Neil Armstrong's like your your <laughs> your mouth and your ass are in the same vicinity what's wrong with you and then he planted the flag right in his eye USA yeah, right in USA his- Hell yeah, that's how it's fucking done. That's how we killed the moon. Yeah, that's how we established dominance in the solar system. We killed the moon. Um, um, yeah, you could say that with a lot of the things NASA does. It's all very uh, reckless, sending people into space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Voyager is like, like going as far in our solar system as anything's ever been. It's like, what... Uh, who knows what could happen with that? You know what I mean? Like anything could happen. Yeah. You talk about contamination. So who knows? Um, you know, some people thought that's what they should do with Galileo and Cassini is just like use the last bit of energy they had to like either, you know, slingshot them around and like send them out to deep space. But that's the thing. NASA just worried that they would get loose and then who knows what happens to them. At least if they crash them into the planets, they know where they are. Yeah, what do you, do you have a me? weird emotional attachment to robots? <laughs> no, I think I have the appropriate <laughs> level of attachment to robots, which is to say... Asking for a friend. None. Um, I mean, this is a very kind of sad. I feel kind of sad when they, like, they send these fucking robots. Like, you remember when those images were released of that little Mars rover? And it kind of became like a little meme on the internet. And it's like, you know, he did his little duty. He, he was like, you know, he, he did what he was supposed to do. And he's like all tired and beat up. Hey, I got good but, news you know, for he you. He did then. his job and he did it well. And then, and then didn't it like, didn't it sign off with like the last word? Its last words were like, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I got or good like news. it's getting dark or something like it, it had some kind of it, it, its last relay message to um, to Earth was something like incredibly poetic. Wow. And like uh, like almost almost personified the little robot. And I think that's why I feel like a weird emotional attachment <laughs> to it. Um, OK, what you should do then uh, I, I have I have uh, something that will make you sad and then something that will make you happy potentially. Um, if you go into the show notes, uh, bunk funkers, you can do this too. Uh, we have a link to NASA's mission overview for Cassini and they have this big interactive thing about Cassini's, uh, grand finale as they call it, which is all about Cassini's, uh, last few days alive before it crashed into, uh, into Saturn. And I have to say, I went through that and I, Okay, I guess I can see where you're coming from. I have, I was like, I kind of feel a way about Cassini after watching this. I mean, I don't feel it now. It was just in oh, that okay. moment. Like, I have no long-term attachment to Cassini, but at the yeah. in the moment, I was like, I feel kind of... I'm kinda... not sitting here fucking crying my eyes out during a goddamn pandemic over the fucking Mars rover. <laughs> I was like, this is a noble little spacecraft. It sent so much it's, data. You feel like, you feel proud of it. Like, it's almost like, you know, they're like these, like, they just, they they accomplish their little mission and then they just they go is there anything else and you just say yeah just you know 
It's like uh, it's like the end of like of, of mice and men. <laughs> it's like you just keep petting that you just keep petting that little space rock Cassini. Don't you worry. And then I just you slowly bring up the gun. It's like don't just 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 close your eyes and keep petting and don't worry, Cassini. <laughs> Um, just a silhouette of you with a gun and a dead robot yeah I like that I'm the one killing these robots (laughs) Um, when NASA needs a guy to kill robots for them because they're too emotionally attached who do they call Captain No Empathy (laughs) you know that is weirdly man that is weirdly fitting for you because you uh, we joke that you are an emotionless robot at times and who else would be better at killing robots than an emotionless robot right exactly the only person that can kill a robot is a robot Um, although that thing the grand finale for Cassini uh, the most uh, it was like this heartbreaking sequence where they're talking about Cassini's last transmissions to earth so it's like even as it's entering Saturn's atmosphere and getting steadily closer to the planet, like, I mean, it's streaking super fast. Again, it's like thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles, like 100,000 miles an hour or something, I think. Yeah, Chuck Yeager's getting a boner. Listen yeah, to Chuck Yeager is is on fire right now. He's like, this. I want to pilot one of those bad yeah, boys. Chuck Give Yeager. me Cassini too <laughs> on the salt flats, baby. <laughs> That's for sure how Chuck Yeager wants to go out is... Uh, diving dramatically into a planet <laughs> um so all right nasa you've turned me into a fucking spice probe now launch me launch <laughs> me into uranus <laughs> that's how he's going out all right i'm ready launch me into uranus <laughs> it's just like his head on as a probe and like three little prongs sticking out <laughs> his la- his last transmission to earth was yeah <laughs> um, but they talk about uh, Cassini it had this uplink with uh, like a NASA relay station in California uh, and then it's like as the earth was turning it's it, for a while it was communicating with both a station in California and in Australia and then the globe as the globe of the earth keeps moving it, it went to only Australia and then eventually we lose the signal man and that's the last deep cassini's gone and then it shows you this thing of cassini like an artist rendering of cassini streaking across the saturnian sky and breaking apart into a million different pieces jesus christ <laughs> tragic but here art that's sad i want to say something that's going to make you feel better Okay. I think in like two weeks, NASA's launching another Mars rover. Oh, he'll have a little friend. Yeah. He's probably going to go find that dead Mars rover and then just immediately take a moment of silence. (laughs) He pulls out out a uh, bottle of uh, 40-ounce malt liquor and pours one out for his (laughs) dead homie. They made sure to pack a bottle of malt liquor. Yeah. Then that malt liquor... Malt liquor and dying on a foreign Mars. <laughs> malt liquor and dying on another planet. Chuck Yeager's on board. <laughs> Double sign me up. Um, no, I mean I could see people who worked on those projects probably getting really emotionally attached to it because you like 
you're kind of it's a tool. You're like you're like communicating with it. You know, we we personify our tools all the time. You know, when you're like yeah, anybody who loves a car that they have when their car finally kicks the bucket, you know, it's like, oh man, that fucking 67 Chevy boy. I love that thing, you know, or whatever. You got to keep in um, mind too. These, these missions go for a long time. Like, oh yeah. Cassini and Galileo were, were in space for 20 years. Yeah. Like children. Yeah. Like they raised Um, these from nothing. And then, you know, you get all the time to build it and whatever. Well, you know, and then there's movies like Iron Giant and Wally. So many good robot robot movies. Um boy, Andy, can you imagine if they blowed up Jupiter and if they did it this year, what a fitting end for 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can NASA. you just imagine like December 31st and the NASA's like, yeah, we we blew up Jupiter. <laughs> it would be like I think at this point people would be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, makes sense. I get Maybe it. Maybe Nick Nolte would come out and he'd be like, "God damn it, NASA! God damn y'all trying to oh y'all blew up Jupiter again! God damn it, NASA! <laughs> God damn it, NASA! You sent out Cassini, blew up your book. God damn, contaminated it with plutonium. God damn it." <laughs> what a tremendous Nick Nolte. It's like he's here. Wait, what do you th- Yeah. Don't you think Nick Nolte would say something like that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> God damn it, Nancy. God damn it. Oh, you didn't. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, I feel like that's all Nick Nolte says. God damn it, Nancy. <laughs> Y'all sent Voyager out to the far reaches of space without worrying about how it's going to contaminate. God damn, God damn it, NASA. God damn it, NASA. <laughs> yeah, you guys blew up Jupiter. God damn it. God damn it. Um, this is a, this might come as a big fucking shocker to the bunk funkers. I mean, wow. huge. After listening to the the pod for, you know, 67 episodes or however many episodes this is. Uh, Get ready for the big, big shocker here. Uh, Art enjoys playing Dungeons and Dragons. Wow. (laughs) What a reveal. Who saw this coming? Yeah, big shocker. Uh, Huge fucking dorks on this podcast. (laughs) Huge. I know what you guys are thinking. (laughs) And you're right. Um. This did you just want to confess that, like, or are you going anywhere with that? No, 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 no. This that's a point. This this is like a really fun like word world building like story. Like I want to play in a campaign, like a sci fi campaign, where some faction is gonna fucking blow up Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, as like, but but you know, like they, in their vision, it's like a good thing. Like they're gonna blow up Jupiter. And it's going to create a second star and we're going to be able to inhabit other planets when our stun fucking dies out mm-hmm. and the earth is crumbling from um, resource decay right? and overpopulation and gray goo. And, uh, you know, it's up to the party to decide, you know, is this the right plan? You know, is it not? You know, and you're battling people having space adventures. Sounds fucking fun, Andy. I think you'd like to play. <laughs> I would like to play. Um 
you know, your classic character that you always try and play whenever we've, whenever we've pl- tried to play Dungeons and Dragons in the past. Andy rolls up a character that loves to have sex with ghosts. Yep, yep. I was just gonna say that. Uh, Art, Art tried to organize a group. Uh, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Art tried to organize a group of uh, us and our friends to play a campaign, and I created a character who. Uh, uh, had an experience with a ghost and was in love with a ghost. And the whole purpose of them questing was to uh, bring this ghost person back to a corporeal form so that they could be together. I don't remember yeah. a lot else about the character, but... Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit more like you had sex with a ghost and then you wanted to find the ghost and have more sex with it, I think was... Uh... Right, it's exactly it. <laughs> and you are like, Art, can I be a vampire who fucks ghosts? <laughs> And I, I mean, I probably could have allowed it, but I said no. Even though I allowed everything under the sun in that fucking campaign, that would that would have been the weirdest campaign ever. <laughs> well, you were gonna be a vampire. I forget what you picked. I think you were just like a regular human. Um, yeah, I don't remember. But one of our friends was a fucking Kenku, which is a bird person. Another friend picked a Yonti, which. I guess depending on how you look at it, they're like kind of snake people. Not always, but they can be. One person was a um, a water genasi, and then we had a goblin. Yeah. So imagine that those fuckers coming to save the day. I mean, as far as I know, that would go really smoothly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess kind of digging into this topic, though, you know, I don't know, with, uh, what's his name, old Big Daddy Conspiracy Bill Cooper here. Um, We're kind of getting into Project, did you get Project Bluebeam vibes with this one? Um, Yeah, it kind of took that, you know, it's like at first, some some people were just kind of saying like, oh, this is irresponsible. And, but then it's it's like when it takes that turn to where it's, the creation of a new star will fulfill a prophecy or it'll be used They'll to see it as a religious event. Yeah. Solidify the rule of a, of a global leader. It's like, why would that, why would that happen? Like if, if, I mean, I guess the idea is that people wouldn't know that NASA did it so that it would seem like it just happened spontaneously. And right. That's what would make people question so much and lead them down these paths. But I, like, do you tell me how you feel? And uh, maybe I, maybe I'm just, look, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of my ass here because I've never been in this situation. I'll probably never be in this situation, but I feel like if one planet in our solar system all of a sudden became a star and now there's two suns in the sky, I don't think that I would be immediately chaotic and think that all of the existing structures of civilization should break down and that anarchy would yeah. reign supreme. I mean, is that how people would, is that what people would do? It'd just be like, well, the government doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> there was an astronomical yeah, I event. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on how they're portraying it to us. Like, I guess that's what they're kind of saying is like, they'll portray it as some kind of religious event, but like, yeah. Okay. So if the Pope is like, Hey everyone, I heard from God, God just told me, <laughs> That that was like uh, a religious event, and we all need to do something. 
you know, okay, fine. But like, I don't know. You're going to get like every world religion on board with that. Right. <laughs> um, I wouldn't see it that way either. I guess I think people would be like, hey, NASA, what the fuck? And let's assume that like some president, you know, president, whoever takes uh credit for it and they're like i made that i did that we did that so now i'm the world leader like i don't know plus i do think that it's funny where it's like oh if this if this created a new star and then suddenly like there's there's suddenly habitable um satellites of this star um inside our own solar system that humanity would band together and use its resources to try to to colonize that location it's kind of like is that such a bad thing <laughs> like no it's not <laughs> like everybody working together for a a goal that helps solidify the future of us biologically it's kind of like it doesn't seem so, like such a bad thing i mean you know obviously they always it's always combined in the theories with uh you know this explosion of a gas gaseous shell or whatever from around these planets that like kills a bunch of people, which I mean, that's bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah, it. That's that bad, sucks. but it's kind of like, Oh, well if, if the end result is that people put away their differences for a noble goal, it's like, it's not so bad. That's not such a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I think some people are so anti-globalist. Kind of- they're like, Oh no, I won't even help somebody because they, they might be a globalist. <laughs> it's like just completely shitting on other people because I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of factionalism will take place of the first terraforming settlers of Europa or the first terraforming settlers of Mars. You know, obviously, we've mentioned on the pod before about how we're, I'm at least, I don't think you've seen it, um, fans of the show, uh, The Expanse because of its great world world building um, and logical world building that I enjoy, which is that the people who went and colonized Mars after like a generation or so started to identify as Marsian and no longer identify as Earth. And they actually separated from Earth. And it's like, it's this quasi weird where it's like you have people with Earth, like they have uh, like someone with a Texas accent or someone with, whatever Australian accent or just regular English accent or just general RP accents or American accents. And it doesn't matter. They're all Mars, you know, and their beef is with earth. That happens so fast. One generation. Like the, okay, well, listen, I don't know. I don't know the specifics. I don't know the specifics. okay. Okay. I don't know. I just said that. I don't. I don't <laughs> these, actually know this. These Marsians are a real contentious bunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born here. Well, I hate the Earth. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> chill, chill. Fuck you, Earth. Fuck you. you haven't given. I was me born shit. on Mars. Fuck you. Fuck you. It's like okay, <laughs> relax. Well, that's that's part of the contention in the show. Was like the people who went to Mars feel like they built Mars. Right. They feel like they terraformed it. It's their planet. Right. And Earth should not have any control control over it, especially yeah. its resources. Like they they feel really strongly about the fact that they finally, after like years and years and years, have been learning how to like 
they want to do projects where they put a real atmosphere on Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, like like they actually inject some kind of not artificial that artificial but will become natural atmosphere on Mars so that people could live and breathe real air. Right. And it's like they feel like, well, we built this, not the Earth, so the Earth shouldn't have any governance over us. And they have their own military and anyway. It's a good show, Andy. You should check it out. Um, What's it called? Expanse? The Expanse. How do I watch it? On TV? It's on Amazon. Amazon. Oh. Amazon. Four seasons or whatever. Um, That's an interesting concept. I I I believe it would happen. From a logical perspective. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I I think that that would be kind of funny where the people of uh, Titan or the people of Europa or uh, whatever are um, no longer identify as Earthlings. Look, could we all just agree that Titan is going to be the the prime destination for everybody? Like, that's where everyone's going to want to go because everyone's going to want to be a Titan. Everyone's going to want to be, it's like, uh, you know, people from Titan would be so freaking smug about, oh, you're an Earthling, I'm a Titan. Like... Uh, oh, you're a Martian. I'm a Titan. Uh, oh, you're you're a European. I'm a Titan. Um, so I'm that's a naturally freaking Greek demigod. I'm a Titan. <laughs> I'm gonna eat my children. <laughs> but that's where I'd want to live is Titan. But you could yeah, Titan would be you pretty could do a fake dude. out and live on Triton and be a Triton. <laughs> Tritonian. Triton- Tritonian sound sounds pretty. Tritonian sounds pretty um, bougie. I don't know. It, it sounds does. Upper it does sound a little Tritonian. Bougie, but it definitely Tritonian. sounds pretty laid back. Yeah, it's got like a San Diego vibe. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> Triton is the San Diego of uh, extraterrestrial satellites. Hey man, the weather's do, great. Uh, welcome to Triton, dude. Have a burrito with French fries in it. <laughs> We call it Triton Uh, (laughs) Roll-Up. You know, back to Bluebeam, though. You know, I don't know. I I, I don't... It just... It seems less plausible with this one because Bluebeam at least takes place on Earth and apparently Bluebeam is going to somehow has the technology to speak within everyone's mind and um, display imagery of their chosen religion to them so that feels a little bit more personal whereas this is like you know oh my god they blew up jupiter and now we all need to elect you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's where it gets the off the prime rails. minister of whatever as the global leader of earth it's like wait what have, how did we jump from a to b there <laughs> i have to say though for the rest of it i mean this is much more Project Luc- the Lucifer Project is much more uh, much more plausible in terms of the operation than Bluebeam. Like Bluebeam, oh, for sure. Bluebeam just doesn't make sense at all. At least to me, like none of it, none of it really makes sense. Uh, well, except for the sodium layers. Yeah, the sodium layers is the only part that I really understand. Oh, 
and how can I forget the satanic ghosts that will <laughs> expel from all electronic <laughs> devices? That's my that's my favorite part of Bluebeam is the satanic ghosts and Lucifer. Frankly, I think that NASA could use a few more satanic ghosts in its conspiracy. Yeah, I mean this is the Lucifer project. Where's the satanic ghosts? Right. <laughs> yeah, satanic ghosts. It should not be a a shell ejected of like hydrogen and helium. It should be satanic ghosts get blasted off of Jupiter because that's what it was inhabited by. And then they yeah. hit Earth and that causes radiation poisoning. Case closed. Case closed. Wrap it up. It was always satanic ghosts. It's up to the super friends to save the day because Lex Luthor and the Legion of Doom are going to blow up Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> Does kind of sound like a over the top supervillain plan. Wouldn't it be crazy though if it happened? It would be fucking nuts. Like all of a sudden, if you're part of the generation, like the pre double sun generation, like just think of there's so much iconic imagery of like a sun rising in the east, you know? Like, right. like you think of uh the opening cinematics of like uh the Lion King or just uh, anytime they want to show the passage of time in, in film or TV, it's the sun moving across the sky. And there's so, I mean, it's ingrained. We used to, ancient religions praised the sun. People who love dark souls praise the sun. Yeah. <laughs> and um, to, to then think that suddenly it's like, nah, dude, now there's two. <laughs> sun one, sun two. And it's like, you know, it would just be wild. And you could see it. It would be like, it would be right there in front of you, you know? Yeah. Every day. You look up at the sky and be like, oh, there's Sun 1, there's fucking Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I It would be it would be wild, like, but I think it gets back to this. Uh, I don't really think it could happen. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that Jupiter and Saturn are big enough. Yeah, it seems like the if you really start looking at the size of the sun, I mean, I think um, it's like to us, Jupiter and Saturn are enormous because they are. They're so huge compared to Earth, and Earth is huge, right? Like Earth itself is like an enormous thing compared to a human. But those two, I mean, like we said it, Jupiter is twice the mass of all the other planets combined. And despite that, including everything else that's in the solar system, the sun is still almost 99% of all the matter in the solar system. Like That's fucking wild. By, by the widest of margins, the sun is the biggest thing in our solar system, the most massive thing. There are um, websites that you can go to. I forget the name of them. Okay, you can go ahead. Them. Google it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can watch two girls... And one cup and see what happens is uh no uh it's a website where like the more you scroll like it scrolls out of the universe you know? oh yeah You've i've probably seen, this. seen it i've seen this kind of showcasing the size of everything like maybe it starts with like the eiffel tower or something yeah and you keep scrolling and it's like oh the burj Khalifa, and then it's like a little bit bigger and then it's like oh mount everest and then it's like oh a little bit more and then it's like the earth and then it's like jupiter is like huge compared to the earth and then you scroll more and the sun is fucking massive. And then you keep, then <laughs> you just keep scrolling. And then you get to like some fucking red dwarf that's like three bajillion light years away. And it's like, you mean red, red giant or red super giant. giant. Uh, and it's just like, it's, it's unfathomable how big 
those stars and things are they're floating out there in the fucking universe it's wild yeah i mean our our sun is like average to small as far as stars go and um yeah our sun needs to fucking hit the gym and start bulking up our sun you know needs to start waking up at 6 a.m hitting the oatmeal and eggs getting a big protein filled lunch fucking hitting the gym doing power lifts i'm talking Compound lifts, bench, deadlift, squat, overhead press. These are the things our sun needs to do. The sun needs to get its pump on daily. Yes. And grow up a Arnold little. get Arnold Schwarzenegger to the sun, up please? The sun. Get him, Arnie. Get to the sun. All right, son. I'm going to pump you up. First, we're going to start with the bicep curls. Then we're going to do the skull crushers. We need to do the seated cable rows to build the back of the sun. The solar flares. Your solar plexus is so small. Do the pull-ups. Weighted pull-ups. Squats. Zercher squats. Hack squats. Deadlifts. Oh, yeah, that's good, son. Keep doing it. Donkey press. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger training the sun or having sex with the sun? A little I'm, bit of both. I'm not sure right now. <laughs> That's good, son. Keep doing that. Doggy press. There's a script for a movie. There's a script for a movie for me where I, Otto Schwarzenegger, get sent to the sun and I have sex with it. The sun is played by Danny DeVito. <laughs> My co-star from Twins. This is the sequel to Twins. <laughs> the sequel to Twins. Danny DeVito becomes a son and I go and I have sex with it. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. I'd pay money to see that. I'd pay a lot of money. I'd pay a lot of money to see Arnold Schwarzenegger have sex with Danny DeVito. <laughs> a lot of money. Make it happen, internet. Hashtag DeVito and Schwarzenegger fucking. Eh, it's probably already out there. I just got a rule 34 yeah, search it. True. You could probably find it on Jib Jab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jib Jab. Jib jab, <laughs> hilarious greeting cards with uh, images of yourself, and also you can make any celebrities fuck each other. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a great website, Jib jab. That was actually their uh, their companion site, Jizz jab. <laughs> um, I spent a lot. Andy, of time is on there anything jab. else you want to talk about before we get into some verdicts here? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pull this thread a little bit about uh, the size. Oh, yeah, pull um, the threads. So a lot of times Jupiter gets described uh, as like a failed star, like that it should have been a star, but it didn't have enough matter around it to pull in to uh-huh. like get ma- massive enough. Um, but here's the thing: uh, there's a to class of IRL. Like Jupiter's huge, and there's a class of star called brown dwarfs, which really aren't that much bigger than Jupiter, but just for scale here, like brown dwarfs, for some reason, they get classified as stars, but not all of them can even, they don't have enough like mass to sustain fusion reactions. So I don't know how, the, I don't know how the classification works, but these brown dwarfs that can do limited fusion, even those are like 80 times the size of Jupiter. So we're talking wow. about like a really small, weak star uh, and Jupiter would have to be like 80 times more massive in order to even get to that level. So even though Jupiter and Saturn are like full of hydrogen and helium, you know, much like the sun is, it's just, 
it's on a scale that's not even comparable. So I, I that's that's what gets me feeling like it probably couldn't happen. Now, let me tell, let me ask you this, Andy. In your research for this, did you find anything that was like a song that went something like brown dwarf, brown dwarf, shake your massive gaseous form? Brown dwarf, brown dwarf, shake your massive gaseous form. No. Wrinkle up your fission reaction. Now it's time to decompose. Brown dwarf, brown dwarf. You ever find anything like that? No. Did you write that just now? Uh, I guess you never sang fucking songs about squirrels and Boy Scouts. <laughs> no, we only tied knots. <laughs> Brown squirrel, brown squirrel, shake your bushy tail. You never sing that song? <laughs> no, never. Wrinkle up <laughs> never your little nose. Now it's time. Put an acorn between your toes. Brown squirrel. And then, of course, we would sing the fucked up version, which was dead squirrel, dead squirrel, shake your broken tail. Mm-hmm. Dead squirrel, dead squirrel, shake your broken tail. Now it's time to decom. Wrinkle up your little nose. Now it's time to decompose. Um, Which is fun. Did you mutilate like that squirrel? <laughs> Somebody, what somebody, get the police on the line. We got a serial killer here. <laughs> um, um, wait, no, I, this I is agree Boy with Scouts you, Andy, because it's like, wait, what? This is Boy Scouts. It sounds like Cub Scouts. Yeah, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever, dude. I didn't last a couple days in Boy what Scouts. What level okay? did you get to? Making, you, you got to Boy Scouts. I wasn't good at making friends as a young child. Okay, I stopped at Weeblos. Uh I made it to Boy Scouts, but I only stayed for like a couple of meetings because none of my friends did it anymore. Yeah. And then like I was like there and I was like, I don't know any of these fucking people. I don't want to be here. Yeah. I did learn how to solder a pipe, though. Oh, so that came in handy. I <laughs> yeah. learned how to solder a pipe. Yeah. It's coming in handy I, right uh, now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a decent skill to have how to solder a copper pipe. You never know when you might need to solder a copper pipe. Okay. You need to weld, fuse two pieces of pipe together. I mean, it's really not that hard. Anyway. Yeah, officers, he's mutilating squirrels, and also he knows how to solder pipes. <laughs> you never take me alive because I'm going to the sun. <laughs> and I'm going to fuck it. I'm going to fuck the sun. I'm going um, in my rocket target rocket. Um, no, I think what you're saying is right. You know, and I was, I was going to save this for the verdicts. Oh, but, geez, I blew it. Oh, geez, you fucking blew up oh, Jupiter. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. You blew up Jupiter before we could even talk about it. Oh, forgive me, bunk funkers. I've done you dirty yet again. But, um, yeah, it just, I feel like if we were able to blow up Jupiter, we would we would blow up Jupiter and it would not turn into a star. I think it would probably dissipate, right? Yeah, I don't uh I don't really know the ramifications of Like we might get hit with something, right? Like some kind of blast or radiation at some point in time. Yeah, it's kind of And we would probably see it in the sky. Yeah, it I mean it's hard it's hard for me to understand how that even the 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 atmosphere of Jupiter could be ignited, you know. Like a lot of people think about the Hindenburg, um, which I guess we kind of referenced earlier uh, in a way. But a lot of people think about the Hindenburg. Uh, it was full of hydrogen, and it blew up. 
but it's like it's because there's all this other like it's mixing with all these combustible uh elements like oxygen which aren't prevalent in Saturn or Jupiter's atmosphere so Mm. it's hard to understand like for me as not as a non-egghead like I don't know what the mechanisms are like that you would even have to do to get the entire atmosphere of Jupiter to ignite like I don't know what you would have to do to (laughs) blow like maybe if uh, if uh, NASA strapped a few oxygen tanks to uh, the little probe that could and then you know then it all blew up I don't know but uh, I don't know what I don't know what it would happen if if we actually were successful in igniting the entire atmosphere of the planet. I mean, I just have to assume that it would like blow up in a. I don't know. I mean, there's pressure. Is it enough to keep it keep reactions happening? I have no idea. I'm too I'm too uh, uneducated to answer that effectively. Yeah, yeah. I'm too much of an idiot. I don't know. It seems size-wise that it just couldn't sustain itself. It doesn't have the mass. Yeah, it just doesn't it have enough. Really there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough there. Sorry, Jupiter. You tried. You didn't make the. You didn't make the cut. But you weren't good enough. You you, you're not good enough to be a brown dwarf, Jupiter. This is an important lesson for you. You're not going to be the best at everything. Look, you might. We know you're listening. Yeah, we know Jupiter tunes in. Uh, it can't help it because we uh, play this into we play this in a radio out loud uh, every time we drop a new episode to make sure that it gets into space. Um, Jupiter, look, you're big. You're the big bad. Uh, you're the big man on the big planet on the solar system. But in the grand scheme of things, you're just another speck in the sky. Keep that perspective. You're you don't matter. Just like Marcus Aurelius had somebody follow him around all day and repeat into his ears, you're only a man. <laughs> and that's a true fact. Yeah. You're only human or whatever the fuck he said. I don't need to remember quotes correctly. <laughs> he said... I don't owe you quotes, He said, Jupiter. Are you not entertained? Jupiter, you know, you're a big fish in a small pond, buddy. There's only like nine or eight of us, whatever. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> uh, eight. Nah, Pluto's still a planet. Yeah, but what about Planet X? A little too extreme for me. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the permanent host of the X Games. <laughs> when we finally get out there. They're going to send all the... They're going to send like... Okay, Tony Hawk and uh, Tony Hawk and Chad Muska have finally arrived on Planet X. <laughs> By this time, Tony Hawk is like eighty-five years old. Yeah, it's like a frail skeleton of a man. Hey, since we're on the topic of Planet X, uh, you think it's Nibiru? Uh, I don't know anything about Planet X. Oh, okay, it might be Nibiru. Maybe we'll do an episode. That would be sick as hell. Maybe Mr. Bunkle have us do an episode on that. Yeah, that sounds cool as hell. Think the Anunnaki live on Planet X? I don't know. I hope so. It'd be cool <laughs> to meet aliens in my lifetime. Yeah, it'd be cool. But it could also be terrifying. True. <laughs> what if they blow up Jupiter? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a much more significant event than if we blew up Jupiter. As funny as that sounds. 
Because I feel like if we blew up Jupiter, we wouldn't know for sure that we were going to be able to blow it up until we actually blew it up. But yeah, if the extraterrestrials did it, it, undoubtedly they knew that they would be able to destroy a whole planet. Man, can you imagine if Jupiter just wasn't there? Gravity in our solar Dude, system would be all fucked up. You don't think about that, but Jupiter keeps that asteroid belt in line. Oh, yeah, really? Jupiter's doing a lot of work out there that we we don't uh, we don't appreciate Jupiter enough. Well, I guess, you know what? Let's take some time here, Andy, real quick to say thank you, Jupiter. Jupiter, you do a good job. I know just a few minutes ago I said you didn't matter at all and you weren't good at anything, but look, I have violent mood swings, and <laughs> you know that because I'm your father. Jupiter, we're unstable, just like you're, the gases that orbit your planet. Okay? Hey, or uh, whatever. I don't know. Hey, uh, Jupiter has the largest ocean in the solar system. Well, that's neat. It's liquid hydrogen. Oh, perfect. Take a dip. And the Oh, the hydrogen is so... Mm, it's like bath water. Get in here. Jump in. The hydrogen's Bunk great. Funkers. Bunk Funkers, take a moment right now. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Bunk Funkers. Listen to what we're going to say. Stop what you're doing. Take a moment. Center yourself. And I want you to say out loud, I don't care where you are, listening to this podcast. If you're, I don't care where you are. You're, if you're at a library or you're at the comfort of your home, I want you to say out loud, thank you, Jupiter. Bunk, go ahead. Bunk Funkers, I'm going to take it a step further. Jupiter can't hear you when you just say it out loud. So open a window, go outside, <laughs> and shout into the air as loud as you can. Thank you, Jupiter. Let us and know when you're you done and we'll continue. Of yourself, <laughs> you take a video of yourself shouting, thank you, Jupiter, into the sky. We'll mention it. Uh, if you and share it on social media, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say if you if you tweet it, we'll retweet you. Yeah, use That's the hashtag. The most we can do okay. Use the it's hashtag. About thank you, Jupiter. <laughs> That's the hashtag today. Yes, use the hashtag. Thank you, Jupiter. All right. Well, now that that's out of the way, we, we thanked Jupiter. Yeah. Um, let's get into verdicts here, Andy. Okay. Um, boy, I'll start. Uh, all right. In this case, uh, what we're being really asked to consider is that is is there is there a conspiracy uh, to to turn one of the gas giants, Jupiter or Saturn, in our solar system into a star? And did NASA actively try to do such a thing uh, with the Galileo and Cassini space probes? Um, I'm going case closed. I do not believe that that's the case at all. Uh, I, think that, uh, I think that NASA acted maybe with not perfect information, but... That was probably the best solution that they had at the time. Uh, and clearly the success of it, I mean, in the design of the RTGs and everything, it just isn't set up to, it's not conducive to making a huge nuclear explosion. Um, and further, as we just discussed, it just doesn't seem like Saturn and Jupiter are big enough to ever be stars. 
I mean, they need a lot more matter before they could become uh, a home of fusion, con- like sustained fusion reactions. So I'm going case closed. Um, so I guess I was going to rate the plausibility of of blowing up one of these planets in the future, even if it's not a conspiracy perpetrated by NASA. But I guess I'm going, I guess I'm going case closed on that too because I just said it. They're not big enough, so I don't think that this could happen. That's why I'm case closed. Wow. Um. All right. Fair enough, Andy. And uh, yeah, I'm also case closed on the idea that NASA tried to blow up these planets. Um, I don't think that they would, I don't know, spend a fuck ton of money to design a probe to study Jupiter and then just, I don't know, blow it up twice and not succeed, you know? <laughs> and like, like spend all this money to design it to like house its plutonium in a way that at least attempts to make it not explode. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they could have just put all the plutonium in like the core and just be like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, here's something that I, that I should mention now that you got me thinking about this. Uh, RTGs have been used for like lots of different space missions. Um, you know, so it's like the Voyager crafts have, uh, RTGs on board and, uh, Plutonium. We use them here on Earth. Yeah, they're in like old lighthouses in Russia that nobody ever visits. Uh, they keep yep. the lighthouses running. Uh, they also use uh, take that Energizer Bunny. They also use these RTGs. Plutonium two thirty eight was developed into like a fuel source for pacemakers. <laughs> so there are some people, I believe, still living who have plutonium powered pacemakers. Um, That's fucking cool. Yeah, and uh, you know it was. They made like, I don't know, not that many to begin with, um, and they installed them in people, and then it, they started to have second thoughts about the safety of it uh, long term, <laughs> but apparently it's like, you know, with a pacemaker, you have to have the battery changed every so often. Uh, these have like like almost no maintenance because they're nuclear powered. It's fucking dope. You got a little nuclear reactor inside your heart. Yeah, well, it's it's really like a nuclear battery. It's not really a reactor. Yeah. I mean, not to be too egg-headed here, but actually. Um, hey, baby, my heart doesn't just beat for you. It radiates. <laughs> That's a pickup line you could use. I must be I must be more in love with you than ever because my heart's growing. Either that or the radiation from my pacemaker is making my heart expand at a dangerous rate. <laughs> <laughs> oh Andy your classic pickup lines <laughs> it never fails more like pickup pick up paragraphs really um, you know I'm married so I don't get to the bar very often anymore so I just use this yeah. when I pick up food <laughs> you're always hitting on the takeout delivery people yeah always the pickup people they're like, can I get your? I'm last- trying to pick them up. <laughs> They're like, can I get your last name? I'm like, sure, I'd be happy to replace your last name with mine. Wink. <laughs> you remember when you were all about having that list of conversation starters? <laughs> yeah, I wrote those down. I wrote those down as a joke. <laughs> you remember any of those? Uh I don't. I think there was one about Yao Ming. 
There was one about Yao Ming. If you had to pick anyone, living or dead, to eat your asshole, who would it be? And why is it Yao Ming? Mm, that's right. Yep. That's it. Well, I'll tell you why. Well, <laughs> because, because of his height. Because he knows how to eat a Whopper. <laughs> you, if you can eat a Whopper, you can eat an ass. My asshole on the street is known as the Whopper. <laughs> Anyway, uh... They call me the Burger King and my asshole is the Whopper. <laughs> oh, man. Had sex with Yao Ming last night. Oh, shit. How'd it go? Oh, baby. He ate my ass like a fucking Whopper. <laughs> from Burger... Guy's, guy loves fucking Whoppers. You know what I'm saying? Although he did... Fl- Obsessed with Burger King. Obsessed with ass. He did flame broil my asshole, though. Yeah, he didn't flame broil it, but he, he had it his way. Let me tell you. <laughs> and he put mayonnaise on it. Ugh, can't get that anywhere else. <laughs> mayonnaise a lot of people eating my asshole. <laughs> get her done. Uh, all right. Uh, I never gave my verdict on whether I think this is possible or not. Uh-oh. I have no idea, so I guess I'm going to say plausible Minus okay. and a half? Minus and a half. Okay. That's fair. I don't know. Maybe in the future we'll come up with some kind of technology that can sustain uh, reactions like that. Fusion reactions. That'll allow us to turn Jupiter into a second star. And we'll go colonize Europa. Yeah. And we'll have a good time, you know? Yeah, we'll have a, and, we'll have a uh, ball. Because, I don't know, uh, the sun is eventually supposed to... Uh, give out right and explode and destroy everything in like uh, a trillion years or something like that um i think that it's actually more like four so. billion years oh okay so the sun's well, hopefully we have alpha centauri figured out by that point and we can just you know zip off to some other solar system it took us four billion you know? years to get here so oh the sun's like at the midpoint of its life yikes i hope that the sun doesn't Get a midlife crisis and uh, and then a, oh, a brand new red Corvette starts orbiting it. Oh, God. NASA's looking at a telescope. They're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. The sun just got a tattoo on its arm. Oh, God. The sun just got a regretful tattoo on its arm. <laughs> oh, God. There's a motor. Oh, no. The sun bought a motorcycle. There's a motorcycle oh, in God. orbit around the sun now. <gasps> oh, Jesus. Oh, no. The sun is trying to gel back its fading hairline. Oh God! Oh, oh no. no! The sun divorced its planets, and it mar- and now it's got a whole bunch of new planets that were only born two billion years ago. Orbiting oh, it. half oh, the sun's God. age. The, s- the sun is wearing Ed Hardy T-shirts. <laughs> oh God! Oh, the God. sun just got a subscription to Blue Chew. Oh God! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> NASA's just like, all right, send Arnold up there. We got to talk to the sun. <laughs> I'm going to fuck the sun into submission. <laughs> Wake up, sun. <laughs> Get your life together. <laughs> okay. I know everybody loves like Gordon Ramsay's uh, kitchen nightmares, but I want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger fucking trying to turn planets' lives around. <laughs> That's what I want to see. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, planet savior. If they made a show where Arnold Schwarzenegger went around and it was like Kitchen Nightmares, except it was really poorly run gyms, would you watch that? Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe. I'd maybe give it an episode or two. I don't actually really like Kitchen Nightmares that much or Hell's Kitchen. Mm. It's too too choppy for me, too chaotic. You ever watch the uh, BBC uh, Kitchen Nightmares? Uh, the one where he's nice? Well, he's just normal. Normal? Um, Yeah, maybe a few of them. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. Mm, I see. Um, I mean, I guess what I really want more than anything, uh, I want Arnold Schwarzenegger to do that gym show. Wow, I just had a thought and now it's gone. Well, never mind. Oh, well. Well, that means it's the perfect time to say, hey, those were our verdicts. <laughs> after all that, uh, those were our verdicts. <laughs> after all that, those were our verdicts. Let us know what you think. Obviously, the hashtag is thank you, Jupiter. Uh, oh, I know. Let's have a show with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Guy Fieri. Oh, that would be cool. I I don't, I mean, would they get along? I don't know. Arnold can be a little stiff. Let's. Let's have Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, get Guy Fieri into shape, and Guy Fieri teaches Arnold how to cook. Now that's, I like that. I like where your head is at with that. Because I think Guy Fieri is loose and fun enough to to play off of Arnold's very seriousness. Yeah. And then, after, and then they could just hang out and stuff, too. Like, they could go yeah. to Warriors games together. Yeah. Fucking smoke cigars and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Ride horses. Yeah, be hella tight, dude. Let's get on it. Let's submit it. All right. Uh, we'll be pitching that to every major network in the world. Look for it coming next fall on CBS. <laughs> I don't know why it's on CBS. <laughs> instead of instead of the uh, live instead of like a reality show like I have pictured, it'll just be a uh, it'll be a boomer centric sitcom starring. <laughs> Starring starring actors playing caricatures of Guy Fieri and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hey, it's not the worst idea. Mm, that's true. Um, well, those were our verdicts. Remember the hashtag, thank you, Jupiter, and let us know what you think about the Lucifer Project. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Tweet at us and find us on Instagram, at mrbunkerpod, for both of those. Um, find our website, mrbunkersconspiracytime.com. And find us on YouTube, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Uh, Andy, any last words before I fucking blow you up? Like <laughs> I welcome that. Um, no, uh, well, yeah, I guess I do have some last words. Uh, you know, use the hashtag, thank you, Jupiter. Let us know. Show us your videos of you going outside and shouting at Jupiter. Um, I remember... Don't forget to uh, write in for your opportunity to be the special feature in the bunker alarm. That's right. Um. Well, uh, for not the Mitchell uh, Mitchell Titcher bunker. bunker, I I almost said Mitchell <laughs> Tister bunker. Mitchell Tister. Jeez, Louise. Uh, yes, I am the German scientist Mitchell Tister. <laughs> for not the titular Mister Bunker, but for my. Callus. Oh, yes. Accurate. Callus, co-host. Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that 
was the whole enchilada. Thank you, Jupiter. And I'm Joe, and and we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!